Let's pray and ask for God's blessing as we look at His Word this morning. Father, as we come before You, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with You. And uh, Lord, as we continue looking at the book of Philippians, may we understand the principles that You have, but not just for knowledge's sake, but Lord, help us to apply. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad you're here this morning and those viewing online as we continue looking at the book of Philippians. And uh, I'm sure you are like the normal. We're always intrigued by a good fight, aren't we? You know, either a fire or a fight, it attracts. And uh, we're intrigued by a good fight. I remember in high school, two of my uh, classmates uh, were fighting over a girl. And they made the determination that, that they were going to have a literal fight over this girl, and she had gone out a little bit with both of them. And uh, so they, this, the word went out that uh, after school they were going to have a fight. And it was amazing. A crowd showed up, and the fight went on. It didn't last long, but uh, the humorous part was the girl thought both of them were immature and stopped dating both of them. But uh, anyway... Uh, they, uh, we all were drawn to a good fight. And in Philippians chapter 4, we find out about a fight that I'm sure the church at Philippi was drawn to, and it wasn't a good thing. It was a conflict between two women that were involved there in the church at Philippi, and Paul challenged them as well as he challenges us the importance of living in harmony. Follow along as I read Philippians 4, beginning in verse 1 through verse 5. It says, Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia, and I implore Syntyche. Now, don't you love these Bible names? If you're reading the Bible, you're like, oh boy, what are these names? In the New Testament, you don't have quite as many as the Old Testament, but... Uh, Anyway, I just wanted to, I thought, well, I'll shorten her name, and so we'll just call her Sin, but that might not be good, so I didn't do that. Maybe we'll just call her S. I've heard Sintachi, Sintaki, Sintaka, so good old S. So Yodia and S, Paul was encouraging them to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So here this church is, and we've been, as we've been going through the, uh, the letter that Paul has written to Philippi, this church has done some amazing things. But just like every other church, there was some struggles, some obstacles that they were facing. And one of those obstacles was the struggle with unity. And so Paul was challenging them there in that first verse to stand fast. Notice verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown to stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now, we see Paul's passion for these people. He calls them his beloved. He actually mentions that twice. And you'll see in these five verses, 
three times he mentions things twice for extra emphasis. And the first one here is in verse 1, that they are beloved by him also, his longed-for brethren. He wanted to spend more time with them. They were his joy and his crown as he watched that church grow and strive to honor God and to reach out to the world around them. And he begins with the word therefore, and if, as we've gone through Scripture, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to remember what it is therefore. And so you go back to the previous verses, and if you remember from last time as we looked at the end of chapter 3, the, the hope of the resurrection, and that they were to focus on heavenly things because of the resurrection and eternity, which is to be the focus of their lives. And so because of that hope of the resurrection, they were to stand fast. Paul knew that Satan would do everything he could to destroy the church, just like he desires to do in churches today. His assault has not changed over the ages. It was and continues to be in three general areas. First of all, the enticement of the world. Persecution. And then attempting to cause conflict or dissension within the church. And the church at Philippi faced all three. And as we've been looking through the, this book or letter to the Philippians, we see that, that temptation was abundant. That they were, fall, or they were facing intense persecution. And then we see in, in the passage here the, the struggle with unity. And throughout, Paul had reminded them of the importance of unity. Just back chapter 2, the, the warning to not grumble or complain or disagree, but to work together. And Paul's love for them was evident and he prayed fervently that they would remain strong and stable. They needed to have that firm foundation, that, that strong base in order to fight Satan's attacks. Now that uh, fight that happened in high school, I said it didn't last long. They were out by the band room, the two guys, great place to fight out by the band room, and there's a little alcove in there, and, and so what happened though is a little uneven ground, and the one guy fell down, and the other guy, of course he allowed him to get up, no he didn't, he jumped on him and pounded him for a little bit, and the fight was over, it was pretty boring actually. But we need to have that firm foundation, we need to stand strong, we need to be stable. As an individual, we need to have that firm foundation. We need to stand fast. And as a church, we need to stand fast. And so here in these next verses, Paul addresses this specific conflict that was going on and some challenges on how we're to live in harmony. And we see the importance of living in harmony there in these verses 2-5. through five. Verse 2 begins, I implore Utica and I implore S to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the Gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written or whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, we don't know much about these two women. We don't know the cause of the conflict. 
But we do know that they were very involved in the church. Paul reminded them of, of how they had worked side by side along with him and others in, in the spreading of the Gospel. They were evidently a, a core part of the church. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, you see there is a, a group of people that, that had worked diligently in the beginnings of that church. And these two ladies had been involved and had served diligently in the ministry there. And we can also be confident that the conflict was probably not doctrinal. If it would have been doctrinal, then Paul would have weighed in on the issue. If they were arguing over something in theology or church doctrine, Paul would have said, listen, okay, there's these two sides of this argument and this is what you need to think. But he didn't. It must have been personal or very minor. But these ladies were not along, and we can also be sure as they were not getting along that others were drawn into the conflict. And it was creating chaos in the church to the point that Paul addressed them specifically, even though he was a long ways away. And in this short letter, he felt he needed to deal with this issue specifically. But in it, he shares with us some insight on how to handle conflict as he addresses these two women and the rest of the church. We see several things that we need to do to resolve and protect against conflict. He reminds them the importance of being a peacemaker. He challenged a fellow member of the church to help these two women resolve their conflict. We see that there in verse 3. This true companion helped these women and helped resolve this conflict. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, those unruly, comfort the brokenhearted or the fainthearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. In Galatians chapter 6, the first two verses, it says, Brethren, if a, man, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Several things that we see there. We, we need to do it with patience and gentleness. With grace. In the Galatians 2 passage, he, he reminds them saying, you can have the same problem. So as you help someone else who is struggling in an area, you need to be gentle recognizing that you can face a similar struggle. And in that First Thessalonians passage, those people that were unruly, they were intentionally causing problems or the faint-hearted and weak, but were to be patient with all. That's hard, isn't it? We want to go in with guns a-blazing. 
But Paul says we're to be patient. We're to have grace. And also he gives the challenge and a warning. A warning to be careful that you don't fall into the same trap. So we're to be a peacemaker. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave what we call the Beatitudes. These attitudes that we're to have. And one of those attitudes is, blessed are the peacemakers. But that's so hard to do, isn't it? We want to win at all costs. We want to be the the hero that blows everybody away. And we win. But God calls us to be something so different. As we will look at more in depth here in just a couple of verses, we're to be gentle, filled with grace. And then he goes on in verse 4, and it seems like this verse is just completely out of place. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. We're to rejoice. What does that have to do with dealing with conflict? Doesn't seem to make much sense when you just look at it initially. But if I'm living a life of joy, that will help me deal with any anger or conflict. And as I mentioned in verse 1, three times in this passage, Paul repeats things. In verse 1, he calls them beloved twice. And in verse 2, he says, I urge Yodia and I urge S. Just his pleading. But here in verse 4, he says, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Reminding us of the importance of having joy in our heart. Now, if we remember, the, the title of our message series is Joy because that's a major theme of the book of Philippians. These people were facing incredible persecution, incredible poverty. But in all of it, Paul was challenging them to have joy. They needed to be joyful people. And he, and he shares with them how they're to do it. Rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in your circumstances. Many of you here this morning are facing incredibly difficult circumstances. It may be a relationship. It may be financial. It may be what's going to take place in the future. It may be a medical issue that's going on. And you're facing horrendous circumstances. But in the midst of those circumstances, we're called to have joy. We're not called to have joy just when things are going well and the bank account's overflowing and the relationships are wonderful and the, the medical report is great. We're to have joy always. How can we have joy always? We can have joy always when we recognize what our joy is based upon. Our joy is based upon relationship, not circumstances. It's based upon our relationship with God. And Paul repeats it twice to remind us to be joyful, to rejoice. 
And we can always rejoice because of who God is in spite of our circumstances. And what does that remind us? The more that I know God, the more joy I should have. Because if it's based upon God's character, the more I understand God's character, the more I can be confident and rejoice. And I can have joy in all circumstances. And those two ladies needed to recognize the joy of God that would help them to understand the foolishness of their arguing and the destruction that that conflict was causing in their lives and in the life of the church. And then he says to be gentle, verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The word translated gentleness emphasizes humility and, and actually other of the Greek words that are similar to it can be translated humility. We have a lot less conflict when we're humble. Why do we fight and argue? Now, it may be something that we're passionate about and believe in. And, and by the way, you look at Christ, there were times where He showed a righteous anger, right? When He's protecting others and honoring God. But usually our fights come from we want to be right or we want our way. Usually our arguments stem from an attitude of selfishness and pride. If you're married, think about this. Think about your last argument that you, in the middle of the argument, recognize that you may be wrong. Or we like to use the word incorrect because wrong is a pretty strong word, isn't it? I, <laughs> you don't like to use the word wrong. I don't like to say I was wrong. So maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> but what happens? It's a pride thing. And, and we catch ourselves continuing the argument even when we recognize that we were incorrect. Because we don't want to lose. Our pride keeps us from it. And, and we don't know, again, what these two ladies were fighting about. But we can imagine there were times when they said, you know, maybe this isn't uh, uh, the big deal. And maybe I'm misunderstanding but we don't want to lose our selfishness and our pride drive us to foolish arguments and so we need to recognize that if I have humility and gentleness my conflict will decrease immensely I need to think of others first and put their desires and needs before my own. I need to be careful in my speech. Proverbs 15.1 says that a soft answer turns away anger. And then Paul says we do this because the Lord is near. 
Back in chapter 3, he reminded us that the Lord was near. Here he's saying the Lord is near. Why does he just throw that in? Maybe it seems a little bit like that rejoice line in there. It doesn't seem to fit. Okay, we're having conflict. Deal with it. The Lord is near. Why? Well, that's a reminder of both hope and a challenge. It's a reminder of hope in the midst of the struggles that, that we have eternity to look forward to. But it's also a challenge reminding us that we don't have much time. Now, we have no idea when Christ is coming back. But we need to understand the urgency of time. And Paul was reminding them of the urgency of time. Why the Lord is at hand. And Paul saw what was taking place between these faithful women and the impact that it had upon the church and the impact that it had upon the Gospel. And he pleaded with them and, for, and those around them to resolve the issue and to work together to serve God. We oftentimes spend our hours on things in the scope of eternity are not important. Whether it be a conflict, or whether it be an activity, Paul was reminding them just as he reminds us, we need to focus on what's most important. And examine everything else in light of that. And so, how do we handle conflict? In a marriage, if a couple comes in and says we're having conflict, that's not the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is when they're having no communication. But when you have communication, you're going to have conflict. If a couple comes and says, I, we have no fights, I say, you must not talk much. But how do we handle conflict? Whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in another relationship, whether it be on the job, whether it be in a church. How do you handle conflict? Well, let's close with these three questions we can ask ourselves. We can call them conflict questions. Question number one, is the issue worth the battle? We often fight over things not worth fighting for. Have you had, a, had an argument and in the middle of it you can't even remember what the argument started with? Probably not anything that's that important or earth shattering. Our selfishness and our pride lead us to some pretty petty battles. Check out what Proverbs 19.11 says. It says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Solomon is saying there in Proverbs, he's saying, listen, if you overlook an offense, it's to you a glory. Wow. Think about that. How many times in my relationships have I had to fight about something that I should have just said, you know what? It's okay. 
And I, I've shared this story before, and it's just a story, but to me it's so powerful. And whether it's a marriage or another relationship, if we think about this little story, it'll help us immensely. The couple that was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary in this very small town, and the whole town came out to the little town meeting place, and they celebrate this 50th wedding anniversary. And, and this couple was, you know, just the, the picture of love. And, and all the young couples were just amazed because here they were, they'd been married for so long, but they just seemed to be more in love than ever before. And, and so some of the younger ladies sort of asked, began asking this, uh, the wife of this couple, how do you do this? We watch you guys and it's just amazing how much you're in love. And the lady said, well, you know, when I was getting ready to get married, my dad told me, he said, you write down a list of ten things that he may do that will annoy you that you're just going to forgive out of hand. You're not even going to go into it. You're just going to, okay, that's one of the ten. And these younger ladies are like, well, what's on the list? And the Older lady said, well, you know what's funny? I, I, I got busy and I never got around to writing the list. But every time he did something that annoyed me, I said, he's lucky that would have been on the list. You know, a silly, simple story, but a powerful principle. How many times do I get bent out of shape over something that's really not that big of a deal? And again, Paul intentionally doesn't mention what these ladies were fighting over, but if it would have been something serious, I think he would have written about it. It probably wasn't that big of a deal. Whether it's in your family or your workplace, we need to show more grace when someone does something that hurts. So is it a big enough issue to do anything about it? Or should I follow Proverbs 19.11 and overlook the transgression? Romans 12.18 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Hmm. And when I do that, I show grace and maturity. But our first response is, but you don't know them. But guess what? It's not about them. It's about you and your relationship with God. Well, who should be the one to step back and stop the battle? You want the answer here? And I, I, this isn't original with me, but it's a great answer. The one who's most mature needs to be the one to stop the battle. And then, in my godly in my actions and my words, Ephesians 4.15 reminds us to speak the truth in love. And truth and love are equally vital in that command. Both of them are. 
You know, if we have love but don't stand for truth, we have nothing we're standing for. But if we have truth and have no love, no one's going to listen to what we say. We need to have both equally. Why is it hard for Christians to be in politics? Because God calls us to speak differently. And we need to do that, no matter how hard it may be. My godly in my actions, in my words. You know, maybe you say, I always seem to be in conflict. If you always seem to be in conflict, you maybe better do some little self-inspection. Everybody at work is out to get me. Uh, maybe I'm making it easy for them to do that in the way I act and the things I say. You know, last week I was driving down Prospect, and I mean, I've driven down Prospect many times, and a car was coming the other way. It uh, caught me off guard. But it reminds me of a story of of an older couple and, and he was driving down the interstate and, and all of a sudden he gets a frantic call from his wife because she was watching the news about this car going the wrong way down the freeway and cars were going all over the place and she knew that he was probably on that freeway and so she wa- called him to warn him and said, be careful, there's a car going the wrong way, you need to watch out. He said, one car, they're all going the wrong way. You know, maybe we're the cause of the issue. Maybe we're the one who is causing the problem. Are my actions and my words filled with grace? Because there are things we need to address. Proverbs 19.11 talks about those things that are minor, but maybe it's a major thing that you need to deal with. So you need to deal with it, but do it in grace. And it's amazing, godly words and actions, how they will calm a situation. Proverbs 15 and verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away that anger. Do you have a gentle word? And then... The third question and final question, how is the conflict affecting the cause of Christ? If I'm going to be in this argument, this fight, this conflict, how does it affect the Gospel, the cause of Christ? You know, I can win the argument and destroy my testimony. Also, I can spend a lot of time fighting over things when there are so many more important things that I should be doing. So Paul is calling out to these two ladies and to the people around them to resolve the issue. Because it's hurting the cause of Christ. I don't know if you saw the story this week, and it happened in England, but 
It's a picture, and it's going around social media, so maybe you've seen it. But it's a picture of this tree, and half of it is nice and full, and half of it is cut off. Anybody see that this week? A few of you did? All right. What happened is 25 years, these neighbors, and the one, it was in one's yard, but it hung over the driveway of the other, and they felt that the birds were too loud and evidently keeping them awake and then dropping bird droppings on their driveway. So they hired an arborist to come in and cut off that half of the tree. What a silly argument. But you know, we have silly arguments too. We fight over things that are not really that important. And then those things that we do need to deal with, we handle incorrectly. You know, we need to deal with the problem, but you attack the problem, not the person. And unfortunately, in churches today, just like the struggle they were having in the church in Philippi, oftentimes minor issues cause major damage. And the witness and the cause of Christ is hurt because we're foolishly fighting over things that are so minor or the things we really need to work through we handle so incorrectly that we strive to destroy each other rather than resolve the problem so that's the challenge do I honor God in how I work in my relationships how I speak in my family, in my workplace, in my church, in my neighborhood. But we need to bring God the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. And I pray that you would be with us today. Lord, that you would help us to, to understand the importance of harmony, of unity uh, in our families, and in our church. Lord, I thank you for this church and and so the faithful people and how we haven't dealt with these serious problems, I'm so grateful for your goodness and your protection in that. But Lord, help us to be continually reminded of the importance of unity and having the same mind, that same focus each and every day of serving you, spreading the gospel, and being the witness we're called to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.